From the studios of WORQ in Wisconsin, this is the Stand Up For The Truth podcast. Today's issues, overlooked headlines, and biblical observations, equipping the remnant around the globe. Got your sword handy? This is Stand Up For The Truth. Andy Crash Connell, along with Mary Danielson, fresh new podcast today on the calendar Thursday January 25, 2024. Good morning, Mary. Good morning to you and all the listeners uh, who've tuned in with us today. We're grateful for you. Jeff Sowald is back with us today, longtime pastor of Calvary Chapel, Madison. The Lord has given him a wonderful teaching gift to build up and edify the body. And today we're going to discuss the Bible, how we got it, why it's so important that the church knows what it says and rightly handles it. So that's what's coming up today after the scripture and prayer. So let's just dive in. My scripture today is one of my favorites, Hebrews 10, 5 to 7. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book it is written of me. To do your will, O God. Why don't you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we marvel at the plan you've laid out in your word to offer redemption uh, through the blood of Jesus Christ. And it is so simple that anyone can understand it and be saved. Lord, help us to make the most of our time here on earth, to share with those you place in our lives, and to live it out ourselves as a witness to the truth and your majesty. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for Jeff and the many years of ministry you've given him. We pray that you would continue to open doors and use him and his family for eternal matters and that you would protect his health. And for all their needs to be met, Lord, we just thank you for that family and and the work that you're doing in Madison, Wisconsin. In Jesus' name, amen. As I said, we're talking with Pastor Jeff Sowald as teaching can be heard right here on Q90FM, Upward Call, at 10 a.m. Central Time, immediately following Stand Up for the Truth. They also live stream their worship services Sundays, 10.30 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. And you can find them at calvarychapelmadison.com. Welcome back to Stand Up for the Truth, Jeff. Oh, thank you, Mary. It's always a real blessing and uh, uh, just a privilege to be on with you guys. What's new at at, uh, Calvary Madison? I know the website. What can we find? If people go to the website, what will they find um, that they can use to strengthen their faith and learn more about Madison? Well, you know, we're all about teaching the Word, and that's what you're going to find there. Um, we do have a, a third weekly service now on Friday nights. <coughs> Great. It's been going for about uh, two years now. It used to be our our prayer night, and it just morphed into another service. We began mm. teaching prophecy specifically on Friday nights, and so more people began coming. And so, uh, yeah, Sunday morning, Wednesday nights, uh, Friday nights, and Bible studies throughout the week. You get on the website, and you know we just have the Bible taught verse by verse, and um, I do a lot of teaching throughout the week in uh, prisons as well. I've been doing that for about 12 years, and right. that's going really well. I mean, it's amazing. The Lord's doing a great work in, in some institutions where 
you know, guys are just, you know, they're at a place where they want to hear the truth, you know. And yeah. so it's just been a great open door. And now there's, um, well, four of us in the fellowship here who go out into different institutions as well. So wow. it's been a real blessing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, much needed, much needed. I'm blessed that you're adding another service because I think in this day and age, a lot of churches are Sunday only. And they don't want to do midweek services, and maybe people don't come out because of the kids or whatever. So I love hearing that you have another uh, weeknight that you're doing services. That's great. Also, I see you guys have an Israel tour, but that's not this year. Is that next year? Yeah, it's a, it's a year from the spring okay. pending right now, of course. Yeah. We're just yeah. waiting to see. Um, we organize that through uh, Jeremy Higgins out in Iowa. Okay. And so uh, I mean, we got a pretty much a, a, a full uh, bus load so far. There's wow. still some spots, but um, you know, we we had to kind of just say, "Well, okay, what's going on here?" You know, <laughs> I mean, yeah. But we we support a, a, um, the nation of Israel through a Jewish National Fund. It's called, and we've been supporting them and. And they've opened up opportunities for what's taking place is uh, a lot of people there who are in the agricultural field and, and things like that have been called up for service and duty. And so they were having problems getting their crops in and and those types of things. And so they opened opportunities. And I know there's a couple people in the fellowship who are praying about going there basically to help harvest mm. food and and uh, get just help in that area because the Israel you know the people of Israel themselves have to be ready to fight this war yeah. and so it's yeah. pretty wild <laughs> yeah, life has changed over there remarkably and uh, mm -hmm. I know Chris Quintana has a tour this year but they're still I think it's day to day they're trying to figure out if they'll even be able to go Sure. Um, so that should be interesting. I'm, I'm anxious to hear how that comes out. So um, we're going to talk today about the Bible, how we got our Bible, <clears throat> that indestructible book. Uh, I recall uh, the late Chuck Missler, Jeff. He, he used to refer to the Bible as, quote, an integrated message system with evidence of supernatural engineering from outside our time domain. And that is classic Missler. I like to keep it a little more down to earth. A couple of the ways that I might describe it might be uh, preparation of the Redeemer for the people and preparation of the people for the Redeemer. Um, and another another saying that I've heard is the old in the new contained, the new in the old explained. How am I doing so far, Jeff? And how would you, if you had to summarize what the Bible is somewhat succinctly, how would you describe it? Well, uh, God's given us what is a, a progressive revelation, mm -hmm. and he's done that in order to provide us a self-verifying book. And so it's, uh, you know, all I have to do is explain what God put together and understand just the elements that God has built into his word, both the external, internal evidence, and and it defends itself. Mm. And it's, I think a lot of believers don't realize that. And, you know, they, they believe that, you know, the Bible is the Word of God. They believe it's inerrant and, and sufficient, you know, but they, when it comes down to defending it, you know, believe me, here in Madison, you know, I've run into that a lot. And yeah. we've had, you know, a lot of actually uh, professors in university have come to church here. They've heard the program and, and it's sparked their interest. Mm. But, you know, that's the first thing they come in. Well, you know, how do you, you know, how do you even know the Bible is a correct book, you know? Yeah. 
And the thing is, as you as you study the background information and understand what we have, this incredible book. You know, I remember uh, when I first got saved, and I was going to a church in California and helping clean, and and we were in the in this back warehouse area, and they had several pallets of of Bibles in Chinese. They were smuggling them at the, in that time, and they were they were waiting to ship them and and. You know, I remember as a new believer, just it struck me how valuable and how volatile this book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, what you know? Why is this so you know uh, controversial, so volatile that you have to smuggle it in? And the guy's kind of like, "Shh, I don't tell anybody." You know, <laughs> and I was like, "Man, you know what is with this?" But mm-hmm. then you realize as you study it that there's nothing like the Bible, and so. You know, it's it's uh, very important, I think, you know, stand up for the truth. You know, it all comes down to this, the Word of God. And, mm-hmm. and you know, Jesus said, you know, sanctify them by your truth. Your Word is truth. Mm-hmm. And, and so someone says, well, how do you know it's the truth? What do you say to them? Mm-hmm. Well, and people have given their lives smuggling those books and exactly. uh, you know no one ever gave their life for Moby Dick I'm pretty sure that that's the case yes, exactly. uh, you know so so this there's such a cost to having it there are people we have how many translations and paraphrases and something mm-hmm. for everybody in this country and in other countries they would they would take a portion of the scriptures that exactly. we you know take for granted so yes it is an incredible incredible book and I was I was <clears throat> raised in a denomination that said don't ever read it because you won't understand it well they had half of that right I would not have understood it <laughs> but my parents too and all those uh, in in the Roman Catholicism were told never read the book um, yeah. so you know when I it, it took something even when I was about to get saved or the Lord was working with me to actually open the book because that is a mm-hmm. dangerous thing to say to someone yeah. Yeah. so I knew nothing about it I had to start from scratch mm-hmm. and so we're going to start from scratch too a little bit here uh, Jeff break down Genesis for us um, because God says you know God speaks to man God speaks to man three uh, one three I think it is and God said so it starts out very early on in Genesis and God said so break down Genesis for us I know that you have have broken down into certain uh, you know creation generations all that sort of thing so just just run yeah. with it Jeff yeah well you know Genesis being foundational very important but also very unique you know Genesis is included within the Torah the five books of Moses, but technically Moses was merely the editor and compiler of Genesis. He could only have authored Exodus to Deuteronomy. Everything in Genesis Mm. took place long before Moses was born. So it's believed that Moses made use of both oral and written information, you know, dating all the way back to creation itself. And so Genesis, as you break it down, the way it's put together, it's a, it's a compilation of 11 generations of material. What you could say is seven scrolls or seven books. When it says in Genesis 2, 4, it says, this is the history of the heavens and the earth, and they were created. The <clears throat> literal Hebrew word toledoth means generations, what became of the heavens and the earth. And then within that brief narrative of what became, you have the account of the creation, the first man and woman, the record of the fall that brought about about the curse, and then the fallout from the fall in, in with Cain and Abel, Genesis uh, chapter 4. And then you come to the second book, the second uh, of the 11 generations in chapter 5, which is a genealogy of Adam. 
and his offspring traced to Noah. It gives you to the third generation, chapter 6, uh, with the, the, the generation of Noah, the, the record of the flood. But it's like each of these 11 generations that are included in Genesis were separate documents, so to speak, that were compiled and then edited together by Moses. And there are generations of people with specific genealogies, Noah's three sons, all the way to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Now they're recorded, as I said, you know, they're recorded in what's called a progressive revelation. And God, by compiling his word in a progressive way like that, he's able to provide a, a self-verifying communication of himself. If you just study it and you understand, you know, it's that, you know, each generational account builds off the prior one. And so his word can be cross-checked. You ask a Muslim, you know, uh, how do you trust the, the Quran? And they will say, well, you know, it, the it's... Prophet Muhammad said, you know, it's the word of God. Well, how do you know Prophet Muhammad is of God? Because the Quran says he is. (laughs) And you have circular reasoning right right from the beginning. And that's how you, what you have with, you know, any other so-called holy book. But here in the Bible, you know, God bypasses all of that through building it upon, you know, each successive book and and revelation and generation he's given now as far as the accuracy because like i said i'll talk to people in madison and they'll come well how do you know it's accurate you know the accuracy of these original 11 generations here in genesis god's purposely embedded locations and Mm -hmm. time markers into his word that it can be tried tested you can prove them in two ways and uh, externally and internally. And so the external evidence from the earliest times after the flood, you know, the physical locations that are mentioned mm-hmm. here, the, these names in the early chapters, Shechem, Bethel, Ai, Gerar, Dotham, Ur, the Chaldees, many others, they've all been discovered and excavated by multiple archaeologists. And they've all found the evidence of their existing at the time of the biblical narrative in the specific location that's recorded in the Bible. Mm. But another even more important aspect and something that people don't consider is the Bible's internal evidence. You know, you're talking about documents from 4,500 years ago, Mm. some of them. The majority of the record here in Genesis took place in the midst of two great literary civilizations between Mesopotamia and Egypt. And both of those early civilizations had developed advanced writing. Both of their writings were diverse from each other all the way back to the time of Abraham. And they found tens of thousands of clay cuneiform writings from Mesopotamia area there in Iraq, Iran area, and thousands of hieroglyphic writings from Egypt. And what is found in the Bible, and this is what's fascinating, Mary, as you get into the Bible, you find exactly what you would expect from a story that documents someone called out of, you know, Mesopotamia, early, you know, modern-day Iraq, travels around Canaan, the land of Israel, and his descendants end up in Egypt. While the whole story is written in Hebrew, 
<laughs> incorporated into wow. the Hebrew text are hundreds of words and references, the language that are specific to those areas where each narrative took place, whether it's Abraham and Jacob and you know their connection to Mesopotamia with Laban and, the, and Ur of the Chaldees or the, the events that take place in Canaan or their interactions with uh, you know the patriarchs with Egypt. It's very significant. It's not coincidental. God it provides impeccable internal evidence mm -hmm. for the accuracy of the Bible. It's, it's been likened to, imagine this, if you, if you have a several century travel log mm -hmm. of people who leave Northeast United States. Somebody leaves, they're writing about places like New Jersey and New York and Philadelphia, English names leaving those places carrying their kettles and their muskets and other European-named items. And they travel throughout the Midwest, and they visit places like Oconomowoc and Manitowoc <laughs> and Council Bluffs. Right. And, and you know, the their, their Native American names, they pick up a tomahawk and a totem pole and, you know, all these different items. And then they end up living in Southern California, in places like Los Angeles mm -hmm. and San Diego, El Cajon, and they eat frijoles and tortillas, you know. <laughs> I mean, a person writing the travelogue, writing it in their own language, but they would be incorporating all these place names, names of rulers, geography, false gods, all specific mm -hmm. to the various locations that they're traveling through. That same linguistic idiosyncrasies are embedded into our Bible text specifically to provide that internal evidence. And, you know, it's that accuracy, you know, the Bible, the, from thousands of years ago, archaeologists discover the different places. They get the names. Anthropologists study ancient civilizations. They can understand the cultures from the grammar and the language in our biblical text. Linguists Un unlock ancient languages. So, you know, that's what you begin with. You know, Moses, with these 11 detailed generations, you know, that have built into it, you know, an internal evidence and the external evidence to go with that. Very important mm -hmm. and important to know when you're defending the Bible because, yes. like I said, God purposely places, wrote it this way, so that, you know, you, you tell that to a professor or somebody like that, somebody yeah. educated, and they will all, all of a sudden they'll go, hmm, you know, I never mm -hmm. thought of that. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, they likely so. never have, but they've heard of the higher criticism and all that sort of thing that, that will yes. destroy anybody's faith. But the actual evidence is, i got to mention this here, Jeff, because you've probably heard this as well, the gospel in Genesis. And it's um, when we're talking about genealogies, uh, the one from Adam to Noah. And I've looked this up, and I've looked it over several ways. And what it is is the Hebrew names in from Adam to Noah when they are uh, they are translated into English it actually has mm -hmm. the gospel and it it comes when you go from Adam to Noah it, what the names mean here's what they name mean man is appointed mortal sorrow but the blessed God shall come down teaching his death shall bring the despairing rest and the first time I heard that I was absolutely blown away that you could have the gospel in Genesis and there are probably many other things in the scriptures that that we don't know that that we haven't studied yet but just uh the unity there and integrity of the 66 books and even just Genesis is just uh an incredible thing Jeff I want to talk to you too about um uh 
a question about a couple of different books, the Tanakh and the Talmud, um, because I've, a lot of people have heard of the Torah, and we know what that is. We've talked about that. Yeah. What is the Tanakh? The Tanakh is, is the Hebrew Bible. It's okay. what you know we would refer to as the Old Testament. Okay. But um, the Tanakh has um, the same books that we have in our Old Testament. It's a... Uh, it's a Different, you know, we the the thirty nine book division of our Old Testament uh, didn't come about until the fourth century A.D. with the Latin Vulgate of the Bible. But in the Tanakh, there's only twenty four books. But uh, it's because the twelve minor prophets, you know, from our Old Testament are seen as one book in the Tanakh. First, Second Samuel are one. First, Second Kings. First, Second Chronicles. Ezra, Nehemiah okay. is a threefold division to the Tanakh. They have the Torah. They have the the Navim, which is you know the um, the history books as we would know them, and then the Kedavim is the uh, the poetic books, and also including Daniel and other books. But it's basically what we have in our Old Testament, just differently rearranged and ordered in a different way. Okay, and Daniel, the Talmud, go ahead. Talmud is just like a commentary then upon the Old Testament and. Okay. A lot of relevant things. Yeah, and I, I did a little bit of research on it. It's a body of Jewish uh, civil and religious law. So I guess mm. it's a rabbinic document, and it, it doesn't mention Jesus in a good light. I, I guess in part of it, it says, uh, it mentions Jesus, but they say he's a sorcerer who has enticed the Jews to apostasy, that he was a blasphemer and an idolater who deserved to die. Um, <laughs> so I had to look that up because people ask me, what is the Talmud? Um Written in Babylon is my understanding. So that's an interesting book. Um, I have never read it, though. I don't know. Have you ever looked at the Talmud? Not the no. whole thing, yeah. but no. I mean, it's just like you said, it's traditions. It's, yep. you know, it's not scripture. So it's right. not of God. And so it, it can be debated. You can talk to people. And, and you know, there's no nothing like, you know, I describe within the Bible itself. God mm-hmm. has provided us a solid foundation in his word mm-hmm. you know you, you get the same thing in modern commentaries and things like that right. so we get opinions and and different uh, people's just uh, what they believe about the bible but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the bible itself very important yes. you know to know yes. and i i want to forward to the flood a little bit because um, I think one question that people have uh, are curious about is how many people were on the earth, and then how were these accounts uh, handed down? Also, the Babylonian captivity. How how were these accounts preserved? But let's start with the flood. I've heard that there were there may have been a billion people on the earth. Do you have an understanding of how many people would have been around at that time? Yeah, it's a speculation that you know there was you know maybe the same amount of people as there are today and wow and again you can only speculate mm-hmm. because God made sure to wipe out the evidence you know I do believe some of the the monuments that people find that they are, can't explain the you know the the Easter Island type of things and mm-hmm. and uh, Stonehenge stuff like that. It's like how did someone ever build these things, you know? And there are gigantic monuments. There are, mm-hmm. of course, you know, the fossils and things that uh, the animals and and uh, you know civilizations. I know they just found a, a large civilization. I think in the northern Syria, something like that, where they, you know, they're finding, you know, unearthing 
it's just all the evidence, but the exact number of people, it's hard to, to know. You don't know. Yeah. Yeah, Stonehenge, Easter Island, all those things are very mysterious. I think we would like to know who did that, but we, we probably will never know. But how did they hand down, uh, you know, when it comes to the flood and wiping out all the people, was it mostly orally? Was there some written method at that point, or was it just oral? Because it would have been Noah and his wife and, and you know, sons and daughters and in-laws, and that sort of thing. How would they have handed that down? How would that have gotten preserved at that time? Well, that's the amazing thing. You know, when Moses sat down to, like I said, edit, compile Genesis because he wasn't at creation. He wasn't there before the flood. You know, uh, three of those Toledoths, those, you know, generations of the 11 there in Genesis, at least three of them would have had to been on the ark. And, mm. you know, some believe, you know, there's many who believe that they they were in some written form because they are detailed, like you said, you know, the, the genealogy of Adam, things like that. You know, I mean, it certainly could have been Noah remind, remembering these things, but at some point they were handed down uh, in, a, in a written form to uh, Moses to compile them, edit them together. But you think of that, you know, he would be given these these, you know, whatever, they were scrolls, whatever they'd be written upon to, you know, here's the account of creation itself. Here's, mm-hmm. you know, Adam's genealogy. And like you said, in, in you know, giving the gospel in, in a genealogy like that, those are things for us as believers to go, to marvel and go, this is amazing, you know, but unbelievers, you know, if you can defend, you know, the the veracity of this book, you know, it, it causes them to have to re- reevaluate their own, if they truly want to know their own, you know, uh, 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 you know, attitude towards the Bible. So mm-hmm. important to know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I would encourage people to look up a timeline of the patriarch because patriarchs, because they lived a long time. Adam lived 930 years, Noah mm-hmm. 950 um, yeah. Shem 600, and it goes down as we get closer to, uh, as we get to, to Jacob and Isaac and that sort of thing. But these gentlemen would have known each other, uh, exactly. if for no other reason, to tell each other what they knew. Um, I, God has his own reasons for that. Methuselah, 969 years, and I believe his name means when he dies it shall break forth. Yes. Uh, so it's forth. kind of fascinating to know that they would have also been able to give an account of everything that they knew. So that would have been an yeah. amazing time to be alive, wouldn't it? <laughs> sure would. Yeah, I mean, Shem, you know, one of the one of the sons of Noah, you know, lived, he, you know, it's believed to be a contemporary with, you know, Jacob. So, wow. you know, oh. that's how long he would live and yeah. be able to, you know, whether they hung out in the same coffee bar or whatever, you know, <laughs> I don't know. But, you know, yes. obviously there, there weren't as many people on the earth at that time. Right. That's the that's the thing to remember, you right. know. Right. It was very, you know, the thing is believed about 7 million people okay. by the time of Abraham, which is like the population of New York City. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And where does Babel fit into this timeline? Um, following the flood, correct? Yes. Quite a bit yeah. later than the flood. I think, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So as far as people being scattered over the whole earth, I, in my mind, I think that they probably were only in that particular eastern hemisphere. I don't know, but um, mm. 
my guess would be that's about right. And I know that they can take computers and say, well, we have if we have two common ancestors, this is how many people we would have had by this time. This is how many people we would have had um, after Noah based on Ham, Shem, and Japheth. And, and so there are a lot of things and tools that we can use to understand these things better. And it all points to the scripture. Um, I was also reading, Jeff, we got about a minute here before the break, something mm-hmm. like that. And we can pick this up after we come back. Um, you know, what happened when the temple was destroyed? People went into exile. Um, I think uh, I read an article that there would have been more and more signs of a book culture that must have existed because Jeremiah wrote a letter to the exiles um, and he dictates his prophecies again to Baruch the scribe. Um, mm-hmm. And then Daniel had a copy of Jeremiah's prophecy in exile. So they uh, they also were contemporaries. Ezekiel is ordered to eat a scroll. Mm-hmm. Um, Zechariah sees a fi- flying scroll. So this kind of... Um, Writing things down and making sure that they're available uh, is we find that throughout uh, scriptures. Is there anything else that you want to talk about? We have about a minute here before the break of anything that you want to talk about as we go into the second half. Yeah, that's just um, with regards to the the Earth's population and how many people on the Earth. That that's an important uh, time marker in our Bible as well at the okay. time of Moses and the transmission of the law. So okay. you know, that's an important thing to touch on. Okay, here. yes. So we will definitely uh, back uh, travel back in time a little bit when we come back, and we're going to touch on that. I think that's a fascinating subject. I'm with Jeff Sowald today. This is Stand Up for the Truth for this Thursday, and we're talking about the Bible and how we got it. Uh, Christian Home Educators of Wisconsin announces its 2024 statewide homeschool conference in Wisconsin Dells, Thursday, April 4th and 5th. Uh, keynotes, uh, Heidi St. John, Israel Wayne, Kim Sorgius, Alec McFarland, Jay Seeger, Julaine Appling, and much, much more. There is a cost, but you can uh, stick with Standard for the Truth. Uh, we will have more details as we go. Back uh, with Jeff Sowall of Calvary Chapel Madison uh, in just two minutes. Your prayers and ongoing financial support keep our Truth at Any Cost mission strong. StandUpForTheTruth.com Welcome back to Stand Up For The Truth for this Thursday, January the 25th. We're speaking with Pastor Jeff Sowald, CalvaryChapelMadison.com, and there are all kinds of things on there. And if you are in the area and you wish to uh, visit the church, you can find the directions, you can find everything you need to know at CalvaryChapelMadison.com. Uh, we were talking about uh, something I find real interesting is that populations at specific times following creation, following the flood. Um, and Jeff, you wanted to talk a little bit about the population, I think you said in Moses' day? Well, yeah, you know, you you read um, Deuteronomy. So, you know, here you have Moses. He's got the book of Genesis compiled there, but really it was at Mount Sinai that you know uh, god's revelation to man it was uh, you know really a definitive word was given it says in deuteronomy 4 verse 7 in moses speaking to the children of israel he's saying for what great nation is there that has god so near to it mm-hmm. as the lord our god is to mm-hmm. us for whatever reason we may call upon him what great nation is there that has such statutes righteous judgments as are in all our law, which is I set before you, only take heed to yourself, keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, depart from the heart the days of your life. Especially, Moses says in verse 10 of 
of Deuteronomy 4, especially concerning the day you stood before the Lord our God in Horeb, when the Lord said, Gather the people to me, and I will let them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth. Now, you know, like we were talking about, you know, the, the population of the earth is very easy to to extrapolate them backwards to the time of of Noah getting off the flood, you know, with the census and the, the way they're able to, uh, you know, figure out population, earth mm-hmm. demographics. But at the time of the Exodus, you know, a very conservative estimate of earth, Earth's population was around 25 million people. Wow. With how many people came out of Egypt with Moses? The Bible says 600,000 men, 20 years old and up. You know, you had women, children, servants. You have around two million, two and a half million people at the foot of Mount Sinai. Two and a half million that God spoke to out of the midst of the fire, Deuteronomy 412. Mm-hmm. Chapter 5 in Deuteronomy confirms God spoke to all the assembly from the midst of the fire, the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. So in other words, roughly one-tenth of the earth's population at that time heard the audible voice of God wow. giving the foundational Ten Commandments. That's equivalent today to all of North America hmm. hearing the word, the audible word of God. You think about that. That's a definitive word. And up until that point, you know, they had, you know, the, uh, the Hebrew slaves, they were relate, related to by the promises made to their ancestors. But God spoke directly to human beings. Not just a few of them, mm-hmm. you know, out of the way place, but a couple million, you know, a tenth of the earth's population oh. in the midst of, like I said, two, you know, thriving, uh, you know, civilizations that that were both literary, both, you know, were writing these things in either in cuneiform form, their Mesopotamia or hieroglyphics, which have all been able to be deciphered now. And God spoke directly to them. And that's an authoritative standard, you know. When you say yes. God, God spoke this, and then He gave the very first manuscript on two, you know, tablets of stone mm-hmm. with, you know, the Ten Commandments. So, uh, you know, when you talk about the veracity of the Bible, you know, that was a milestone because it it was a definitive word, and the way that. You know, the words are spoken, they're recorded in our Bible in what's known as second person singular, which means the words of, of, of God speaking, our Creator, is directed to all of us. It's not speaking, this, this is what God says, but it's written in as though God is speaking directly to everybody, not through an intermediary, even though they were written down. Right. Oh, that's a, that's so fantastic. Amazing. I had never thought about yeah. that, actually. And I, I think yeah. of the verse, and I couldn't tell you where it is at the moment, that today he's spoken to us through his own son. And yes. so God Hebrews is... Hebrews 1. Yes, yes, that's it. Hebrews 1. Thank you. And so mm-hmm. God is continually speaking to humankind, and so many have stopped up their ears um, or su- or suppressed the truth, um, but that doesn't keep God from speaking. And if, if God created the heavens and the earth in seven days, is he not able to speak uh, a message to the to the humans of all times and all epochs, and uh, I tell people that, and they say, "Well, the Bible is uh, whatever you know, fill in the blank. You've heard it all before." And I say, yeah. "Well, you think so? The Creator of the universe isn't capable of finding a message system to get through to us, so 
we know what we need to know to be reconciled to him. And they just kind of look at me blankly, but but it, I think hopefully people think that through. Um, mm-hmm. I want to talk about just real briefly to archaeology. We talked about it during the break. Um, I think it's a branch of apologetics because it, it again proves these people, places, and governments are historically verifiable. Mm-hmm. All these people that that the Israelites uh, came into contact with. Um, there's a city gate. Uh, when you go to Israel, there's a city gate there that is very, very old and, and uh, attached to Abraham. And boy, when you look at that, you realize you don't know what an antique is until you see that. But, um, right. you know, Israel's relationship with major world powers is all through the scriptures. Um, is there much um, archaeology uh, from Old Testament times? I know there's an awful lot of the Roman times. Uh, and every time you go to Israel, it looks unrecognizable. Is yeah. there a lot, is anything new, Jeff, in the Old Testament um, era? Because I know that's a long time for things to be preserved. Oh, it's, uh, you know, no previous generation than ours, Mary, has witnessed such a high degree yeah. of, of, you know, evidence being dug out of the ground and found again in you know, you can't discount, you know, the writings, ancient writings from the time of of Abraham, you know, that have been found that include the names and and, and the places, the, the order, coexistence of kings. I mean, you got names like Ketoleomar, mm-hmm. Amraphel, Arioch, Shishak, Zerah, you know, some are Mesopotamian, some are Canaan, some are Egyptian. You know, they're not the easiest names, and yet they're all recorded in our scriptures in the correct order that they, you know, lived. They're all attested to in their own records, you know, that they found. And, and you know, it's like the, the 24 names of the kings of Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, contain 120 consonants among them. All are found in the same order in our Bible and inscriptions. You know, names that are hard to pronounce, you mm-hmm. know, let alone write. And yet, you know, you were, we were talking about the scribes, you know, and the, and the break there. And, you know, the, God made sure to have, you know, advanced scribes, Hebrew writers who transliterated these names so accurately that, you know, the archaeologists, when they dig them up, they're able to through the Bible, you know, determine what the exact name is. And so, you know, it is amazing. There's no, it seems every week there's more, uh, more evidence being dug out by archaeologists. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, a lot of the places where the Bible took place are off limits these days. Mm -hmm. They won't let them get in there. But, you know, thankfully, you know, about a hundred years ago, there was a, a large amount of uh, archaeological digging going on. They found really the evidence anyone would need. So yeah. if someone truly wants to know, it, they're not going to be able to stand before God and say, well, I couldn't know. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's so merciful. You know, he gives us everything you need. You know, if you truly want to know and serve God, he is provided us mm-hmm. with you know i think chuck missler nailed it you know it, it, you know this message system yes, integrated supernatural yeah, yeah right you know, <laughs> outside definitely. of time yeah that's classic yeah. chuck yeah yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. well we talked about scribes because the jews have been known as what we call the people of the book and the reason for that yes. is their faithful study of scripture the law and how it should be followed um uh, Ezra was a scribe. Um, sometimes they were hired on occasions when they needed uh, a written document or a legal point 
they were questioning a legal point. And Ezra, Ezra 7.6, a teacher well-versed in the law of Moses. But in the New Testament, there were scribes too. Um, they added a lot. They, they didn't, Jesus was not pleased with the scribes and the Pharisees because they often went beyond interpretation of scripture. But here's the interesting part. They could only write on animal skins. They had to have a special ink, uh, a maximum of 30, 60 lines per page. They had to speak each word aloud as they wrote. A letter could not touch, and if it did, they had to throw the document away and start over. Uh, if they had a worn document, they buried it. They wrote with remarkable accuracy. And like I said, even though Jesus in Matthew 23 really had nothing good to say about them because he said they were laying burdens on people's shoulders um, that they weren't uh, willing to uh, move or do themselves. And so they really got a stern talking to by Jesus because wanting to be known in the marketplace and that sort of thing. But scribes have been a very important part of um, handing this down uh, with accuracy and integrity. And I wanted to jump to you, uh, to the New Testament with you, Jeff, if you don't mind mm-hmm. here. Um, because the canon, this has always fascinated me, the canon of Scripture, the completed Scripture, you know, once the apostles were finished, um, was chosen over time. Um, and I think they had, uh, the criteria was, who was the author? And secondly, was the writing inspired? I can't imagine being in charge of that sort of thing. I also can't imagine a committee today in this world, uh, doing something like that in the age of AI and technology, to me that's just a disaster waiting to happen. Um, yeah. But what can you tell us about the canon of Scripture that we can trust the Scripture we have in our hands? Yeah, well, you know, the thing to remember, you know, with the scribes and those who are writing things down is that, you know, the majority of, of those living in the Roman Empire were illiterate. And so it wasn't like, you know, they were writing and giving it to the people. And this is why Jesus was so upset, because the people were dependent upon the scribes to know the scriptures. Mm. They couldn't read them for themselves. And they were, it's much like you and myself. I mean, I grew up in, in the same tradition. I was dependent upon that man to know what the Bible said. I mean, willingly, I couldn't, I had a Bible, I just didn't read it. But imagine if you didn't have a Bible, and that scribe did, and he wanted to consolidate power to himself. Mm, okay. That he could, that, that's, that's why Jesus was so upset. Instead of freeing the people and teaching them God's word as they should have been, they were using it as their tool to oppress people, and of course, you know, pastors should take heed to that in our day because they have a big responsibility, you know. But you know, the the twenty seven books, our New Testament, all all those books were in existence by the end of the first century. Okay, and their composition, with the exception of maybe James, Galatians, didn't begin until fifty A.D. This is the thing to remember: the, the things being taught. There were, you know, freely taught. Everybody was hearing them. And so when it came to like today, we we discern whether somebody speaking is, uh, you know, is uh, biblical, if they're legitimate through our Bible. That's what we're supposed to be Bereans, you know, and we're supposed to think, what are they saying? Search the scriptures, which the Bereans would do in that day for all the common people. When a book came out, it was cross-referenced, just the opposite. They cross-referenced it with the teachings that they heard verbally because they were dependent upon that. You know, is this, is this what James taught? Is this right. what Paul taught? 
and so it, you know there was that was the you know the proof of accuracy there when this when our new testaments were being written was all the eyewitness accounts that existed from the time of the lord's resurrection until the gospels that's why they began to be written because you know those multitudes who were fed they were walking around and all the people you know thousands who were healed and and were touched by the lord you could go talk to them directly and they could talk to you all day about what jesus taught them you know now you start those people start dying off we're in first john on sunday mornings and he's like the last apostle you know alive and first john is his definitive word to the church on what it means to be a follower of christ and it's so you know if you say this you're and you don't do it you're a liar you know mm -hmm. i mean it's and so thankful for that book because he made sure that because even by then by the end of the first century there was so much uh, uh corruption coming into the church so much false teaching mm -hmm. but yeah the at the time of the writing of the Gospels, the Epistles, those types of things, you know, uh, they were able to, you know, there, there was no need for a written account of the Lord's earthly ministry initially because the apostles themselves were still alive, along with hundreds of other evangelists. You know, there were there, were, there were many others, tens of thousands of eyewitnesses. And so, you know, the 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 message of the Gospel spread verbally very quickly and like i said the the majority of the roman empire was illiterate anyway it's not like you could hand them here read this you right. know they couldn't even read it you know they were dependent upon that and what you know one thing people don't realize you read the synoptic gospels matthew mark luke they're all written over about a 10-year period when the gospels were put together and they provide not just the three separate accounts of the same material, but each of the synoptic gospels have the are written specifically. And you can you know you through just studying the internal evidence of these and the way they're written. Each is written to one of the three descendants of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Oh. Matthew to the descendants of Shem. Mark to the descendants of Ham, Japheth to, you know, a Grecian or European, uh -huh. you know, by Luke. And at that time, those people were distinguished. You know, they could un they knew who they were, and they provide a personal gospel account to each lineage of the Noah's sons. And you see, you know, that threefold descendancy <clears throat> was still apparent. And you see that the three synoptic gospels, they portray Jews, the line of Shem, there at the crucifixion, you have Simon the Cyrene. He's a he's a descendant of Ham, and you have the Romans, you know, line of Japheth, all involved in the crucifixion, in the three synoptic gospels. The language of Matthew's gospel is obviously influenced by Semitic culture. The words, the grammar, all kinds of cross reference to the Old Testament, which would be written to that group. Mark's gospel. <clears throat> recognized as being written to a hematic, you know, mindset. Jesus is per portrayed as the servant. The language reflects that as written to Ham. They would understand it. <clears throat> it would be recognizable. Then Luke is written to Theophilus. It's a Grecian name in, in, his, uh, in the line of Japheth. 
and the language of Luke's gospel speaks to upper-class Grecian culture. Oh. And so Acts is the same. And you, you see, when you get to Acts, you know, Luke is careful to show the gospel first being received on the day of Pentecost to, to the Jews, Shem's line, the Semitic line, Acts 2, then to Ham's line with the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8. He gets saved and goes back to Africa. And then the line of Japheth with Cornelius, you know, there's the two chapters in Acts 10 written to them. And so, you know, the Synoptic Gospels are written with that in mind. And as you break them down, you look at them, you see that, you know, they all have an intention while they all have the same material and cover, you know, the same time of Jesus Christ. That focus is really fascinating to follow, and you see where, you know, it was uh, directed specifically to an audience. Wow. Jeff, that's really fascinating. I'll probably never read the Gospels the same again. <laughs> um, you know, just to, to see how, how God is, again, it's a, a systematic message system. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and I think, too, one other fascinating thing, well, a couple things come to mind, and that is we will never, until we die, know the depths and the riches of this book. And and it exactly. grieves my heart when, when churches don't teach it, or they, they give the people the idea that it's not important to know it, or that you can't know it. Um, the, the riches are just incredible. And the other thing that comes to mind is what Jesus did the first thing after his resurrection was he gave two of his disciples uh, a Bible study, starting with Moses, yes, Moses and exactly. talked about himself and how he fulfills the law and the prophets. Road to Emmaus, what an incredible story, one of my favorites in all of Scripture. Mm-hmm. The other thing I love about Scripture is the order of the books, and I know that God um, had his hand on all of that. I don't, I don't put it to man, I put it to, to God directing man. But even towards the end, when you get to First and Second Peter, uh, first through third John, Jude and Revelation, boy, if those things don't fit together for those who are living in these times, uh, mm-hmm. if you were to read first and second Peter about false teachers and false prophets and then John and Jude, a short but powerful book, and then it runs right into Revelation, that's, those are the things that help me to understand that this really is something that God did and um, we need to tremble at God's word and not many do anymore. Uh, very, very interesting. Um, I don't know, Jeff, I think uh, the rest of the New Testament, is there anything specific that you want to talk about as far as uh, canon? What, when was that all put together? Are we talking Reformation? What, what is the time frame of the final book that we have in our hands? Yeah, the, well, I mean, like I said, the, the books of the New Testament, you know, were the, the epistles, gospels, all of them were, you know, written by the end of the first century. And so they were, you know, readily available. Like I said, they weren't in people's hands. Okay. Like you said, at the right. time of Reformation, that's what was so amazing is now everybody's got a Bible. Yeah. You know, that wasn't the case. But, you know, there's, you know, there's written indication. You go to what are called apostolic fathers. Those are disciples of the apostles themselves. And, you know, uh, you read their writings, not that I've read them all, but I, I do study these things and study, you know, them in, the, in correlation with Bible study. And already by the close of the first century, the majority of what is written in our New Testament, all the books were viewed as authoritative scripture on the same level as the Old Testament. 
And so their writings, you know, speak of, of the Gospels, speak of the epistles and the writers of the epistles. You get to the, the second century, the church fathers, and you can, you can uh, combine their writings and, and have just about, you know, the full New Testament out of their writings and their quotes from the Gospels and the epistles. This is second century, and yeah. you know they were freely quoted, and support the existence of the manuscripts and being circulated, and and you know many scholars see the entire New Testament reconstructed just from okay. reading the church fathers, you know, and it was in about the third century that then the canon as we know it, you know, is brought together in a way that you know how we understand it you know yeah. and the, it, you um, know i mean there's a guy named origin and you know he has some questionable theology but he he's the one who kind of brought a universal brought the universal use of at least 21 of the 27 new testament okay. books okay. so you wow. know it's really solid wow. i agree you know people need to need to really uh, know, not only know their Bible, know why they believe it, because you're in days where people are going to question it, and they do freely. They have no clue. <laughs> and that when you know it, you can, your faith grows exponentially. Mm -hmm. Well, and you, you are in such a great spot in very uh, mega-liberal Madison, Wisconsin, and yes. I know God has used you guys for a long time, and and uh, that you know, for such a time as this, we're all here for a reason. Yet the church, we thought maybe we would be gone before we see a lot of the things that we're seeing. We are mm -hmm. still here. Um, praise the Lord, because God Amen. is going to use us. And we didn't even mention prophecy, which really, you know, God knowing the end from the beginning. Uh, th that other part of Missler's outside of time comment. God knowing for the end from the beginning and how it has to be 100% accurate and only right. the God of Abraham, mm -hmm. Isaac, and Jacob, and not. You know, not uh, Muhammad. There's no Islamic prophecy. That's not even a possibility. So, yeah, anyway, yeah. Jeff, we didn't get to get that, but I sure appreciate your time and your insights and and all your studies on the scriptures. And uh, um, we'd love to have you back on again. So, um, we only have a minute left. Is there anything, any encouragement you want to leave with people? Yep, yeah, just uh, read your Bible, and you know, it's like you're saying. Peter said, you know, he had an incredible. Uh, experience on the on the Mount of Transfiguration, mm. but he said, you know, uh, that's nothing compared to the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed mm. as a light that shines in a dark place. So I'm thankful because I wasn't on the Mount of Transfiguration, but yeah, <laughs> I do have the prophetic word. So yes. study yes. it, you know. I mean, it'd be a fool not to. Yeah, the prophets long to look into these things. So they sure did. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, well thanks a lot, yep. Mary. Thank you, Jeff. God bless you guys. Say hi to the family. Right. and um, see you, what they say, here, there, or in the air. Sounds good. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Thanks. Mm -hmm. All right, we have um, coming up the rest of the week. Now, tomorrow is going to be a, a headline day, and I'm going to talk about disease X and give you some background and how we got to this unnamed disease that is somehow supposed to threaten us now that the WHO Pandemic Preparedness Treaty is going to go through June 1st. So I don't know if they want to look like geniuses when we all come down with something that's 20 times worse than COVID. I don't know. So we're going to talk about that tomorrow. Um, next week, uh, J.B. Hickson, one of our guests, Julaine will be back with us. We're going to talk uh, about Wisconsin and, and way beyond Wisconsin, some of the things that are going on as far as schooling and that sort of thing. Stand Up For The Truth is powered by some wonderful podcast guests over the decades. And we have a list of our most popular guests on our website. 
StandUpForTheTruth.com. So on the top menu bar, you click Guests, scroll through, find your favorite one, and click on the name, and you will find their recent podcasts. Uh, the link is guests at standupforthetruth.com. So we encourage you to do that if you missed any or if you just want to go back and listen to more of Jeff or any other speaker that we've had. We've had so many great guests. So that's it for another podcast. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. First Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. God bless your day.